The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Success Inside with host Aparna. On today's show, you'll hear the stories from the successful individuals that are making a difference in this world. Living with passion, with their wisdom and ideas, we hope that you are inspired. Now, here's your host, Aparna. Good morning. Welcome on this lovely Saturday morning. I am Aparna with Success Inside Talk Radio. This morning, we have here with us um, Ray Williams, who will be uh, who is our guest for the this morning's show. Uh, welcome, Ray. Welcome to, to you as well, and uh, pleasure to be here. We're looking forward to it. Ray joins us all the way from Vancouver, Canada. So, um, how are things in? Uh, is it sunny Vancouver this morning? No, it's uh, typical Vancouver weather. It's raining. Uh, it's been raining for two days. It'll probably rain for the next four or five. Um, uh, but if you live here, you get used to the rain. Um, they're, they're very mild winters. Uh, beautiful city to live in. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it sounds gorgeous. We actually are lucky in San Francisco. We have a sunny morning this morning. Um, and we're looking forward, to, I'm looking forward to uh, sharing with you some insights. I know you've, you are, ha, are an executive coach and an author, and you've been in this industry for about 35 years. So looking forward to talking about, um, you know, the, the business community. And one of the things for Success Inside we focus on is how do we in this modern world embrace um, kind of the this whole movement of mindfulness, spirituality, and then how do we make it real for ourselves as individuals? So, Ray, with that, uh, I would love for to have you share with us some information on, you know, how you have made this. Uh, it seems that you've made this a focus for yourself um, as a coach and uh, and an author. So I'd love to hear some some thoughts on that from you. Thank you. Appreciate that. But just, just briefly to do a bit of an overview, uh, love sure. to talk the whole show about it, but obviously you want other people to take part as well. Um, I've been working as a, as a coach and leadership trainer for three decades now, uh, mostly with senior executives and CEOs. Um, and during that time, it became obvious in recent years that a couple things. One of them is the, the failure rate is very high. Um, there's actually a couple studies out that show that around 60% of new CEOs uh, fail within the first three years when they're initially appointed. And that means either they're fired or they quit. So the attrition wow. rate is is uh, is very high. Yeah, I never realized that. That's pretty interesting. 60% is, is huge. It is. And, and so um, I looked at and was my own personal experience of working with some of these people is, you know, why? Why do they fail? Why do they, they leave? And most of the studies seem to point to not issues of techni- technical competence. 
They don't have problems with strategy. They don't have problems with organizational issues. Most of the problems revolve around emotional intelligence and relationships um, and conducting themselves in a way that reflects integrity uh, with people. That's the, the research points to that. And the other side of that is that people who uh, often move into those positions are, what, are people that are narcissistic and operate from a place of hubris and self-interest. And that, and in the long run, uh, operates against organizational success. Actually, so, it's great that you're bringing that up because that has been some of the things that we've been focused on on the show because the dem- the whole landscape of leadership is changing and has is evolving where it's no longer, um, you know, about uh, getting the, the hardcore leaders, the managers that are sort of force-driven, but more um, inspired leadership, if you will. That, that's right, and and so that that was kind of the first uh, insight on my from my perspective over the the last uh, five or six years, and taking a look at both the research and my personal experience. So I started to take a look at well, uh, you know, where do we have leaders that are not like that, um, and what's the result they have? And, and I think there's some pretty good evidence now that points to three things. One is um, that the media and the stereotype of the successful leader is often, first of all, a bit of a myth and, uh, again, a stereotype. And that is, it's a, uh, a middle-aged, tall, white male that looks uh, very masculine and aggressive, um, and they have a dominating, char- charismatic personality. And that has been the dominant stereotype that we've kind of locked onto in business uh, for the last three decades. The problem is it hasn't served us very well. Yeah, because the nature of business as a whole is changing, right? I mean, the mere fact that, you know, women uh, have been in the workforce for quite some time now um, should lend itself to the fact that women, more and more women should be CEOs or be in very senior positions. That's right. Um, and, and the, you know, there are a couple studies that show that when women move into those uh, senior positions, they, uh, their track record is actually a lot better than the stereotypic male. But we haven't gone beyond the, and you just have to look at, uh, you know, the, the political debates uh, and the speeches that are made. Uh, uh, or, or the kinds of people that are touted as the great business leaders, and it's still the stereotype that's being shoved down our throats. Um, and unfortunately, it's it's not good for business. Yeah, and actually, I remember reading as well that women CEOs tend to be more successful as leaders. Um, you know, this some of the I guess in and with women, some of the softer skills that you know that we're we're going to delve into here are uh, become are more natural. Let's just say exactly. So so coming to that realization that you know we've got a problem with stereotype. Um, uh, those leaders are failing, and it's because of uh, personality issues or emotional intelligence issues. It led me to well, what's the uh, What's the alternative, and what should we be pursuing uh, instead? And that that kind of uh, started my journey at looking at 
uh, mindfulness, which was a um, particularly personal interest of mine, and researching that and seeing how that could have some impact in the workplace in a positive way, uh, both from the point of view of uh, still maintaining financial results. You still have to have a, a profitable bottom line, but that that's not the only bottom line you should be supporting. It should also be the welfare of employees and what's the greater contribution to the world. Absolutely. So, you know, and this is a personal passion of mine, and one of the things that, um, you know, I have experienced is that I, I've had a very strong spiritual uh, practice be, being, you know, coming from a Eastern philosophy, Indian background. Um, but then I've also had a strong desire for success, and I've followed that career path, um, you know, with my MBA and some leadership positions. And so now is the first time in my life where I am bringing the two together. And mindfulness in the workplace allows for us to do that, but it's also a big challenge, you know, um, and it's, it's more of a personal evolution uh, for me. So I'd love to hear what, what is happening with some of these, uh, you know, CEOs um, and, you know, how they are able, how are they receiving this? Right. And, and, and maybe one of the, you know, good ways of, uh, explaining that is to look at a more foundational thing is, is, uh, if the stereotypic, uh, dominating, uh, you know, white, uh, CEO is not, is not really what we think it should be. Um, then what's the alternative? And I think there, there's increasing amount of research now that shows that, Really, really good leaders, uh, first of all, are really high in emotional intelligence. Um, and being high in emotional intelligence, it means that they see that what you referred to as the soft skills as being really, really important. Those soft skills are the ability to uh, have social interaction with people, to empower others, to have positive relationships, to use, you know, uh, energizing uh, motivational uh, techniques as opposed to the carrot and stick approach. Um, and so that the de- it develops a much different kind of culture when you approach leadership that way. And I think that where that exists, then that organization is much more open to the concept of, hey, you know, we could add to that some mindfulness practices, which will even make your leadership style much more effective. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the this is actually where... Um, the big shift is in terms of being in the ability to leaders are looked at people who have the ability to inspire um, their employees and their their stakeholders and so forth, rather than you know that kind of male oriented, really dominant, um, authoritarian, you know, top down approach that uh, was there for for years. In fact, you know. I was at a conference where even uh, Jack Welsh, who was known for his, um, who was the former CEO of uh, GE, was known for his kind of top-down dictatorial type of practices, is now teaching a form of emotional intelligence. Right. He's now a convert. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's converted and he's out there teaching it in the business community. He was a, a keynote speaker at a conference I attended, um, because he's got a book on this whole thing about uh, bringing together all the softer skills for um, 
and making a more kind of a holistic leadership approach, you know, I'm calling it inspired leadership, but there are many, many ways to, to look at this. Um, and when we go into the next segment, we, I wanted to talk to you about, um, well, what are some of the things that, you know, I, I think it sounds wonderful and companies spend millions on training their employees. I mean, even for the last 20 years, uh, most of the companies I've worked for have invested many thousands of dollars training their uh, executives. But, um, you know, how does it really, it doesn't become true unless you are really living it, unless you are in it. Uh, in it to win it, as they say. But, you know, unless you're living this every moment of your life and really believe in it, it doesn't actually quite happen that way. That, that's correct. And, and uh, I think what it points to is uh, I think that there's at least a couple studies out that show that most leadership development programs fail to develop good leaders. And, you know, I, and I, I second that. I've been to many of these. And, you know, you kind of go to training and then you go home and you're back to being who you are. There's no right. transformation. Right. And, and, and also the design of business schools, particularly for MBA programs, are designed for technical expertise. So most of the subjects covered uh, for an MBA tends to be uh, strategic or technical in its orientation. But it doesn't say anything about the development of the person. Uh, the individual's character and their integrity and their ethics and uh, their knowledge of self. So I, I think that um, it's pretty clear. And in my orientation as a, an executive coach is the, the foundational piece that I look for and I work with uh, an executive is, uh, first of all, is self-awareness. Are they really aware of the kind of person that they are and how they come across to other people? And surprisingly, there there are a lot of executives that have no idea about that. So we spend a lot of time on that. that Yeah, and actually, I'm going to just jump in right here because we have to go into break. Um, But we will come right back with that. That's a very key component. So um, we're going to go into break here and come back with Ray Williams, who's joining us from Vancouver, Canada. And uh, we'll be right back with Success Inside. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you are a beginning or aspiring entrepreneur, have you thought about a coach or mentor? For instance, think about sports figures who have successfully become entrepreneurs and leaders in business. They started out with a coach in their respective sport, and many work with a coach today to help them continue to achieve their goals. Listen for ESCN with host Michael Dawson and co-host Angelia Hobson and Diane Daniels. Tune in Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central, and 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business and rebroadcasts on Voice America Sports. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, leaders are working to transform themselves and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lin, for insights on emerging trends and business innovations to help you stay ahead of the game. You'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention live every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're tuned in to Success Inside. To reach Aparna or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Aparna at bcorporateyogi.com. Now, back to Success Inside. Welcome back. Um... This morning we have here, uh, I'm Aparna, your host for Success Inside Talk Radio, and this morning we have here with Ray Williams, we're having an interesting discussion on um, leadership and um, bringing more uh, of a kind of an inspired leadership approach um, to the world. So Ray, and and before we went to break, we were talking about self-awareness and how that is the most critical component for to become um, kind of a more inspiring leader rather than somebody who's um, just kind of that manager who is dictating um, and dogmatic. Right. And, and we talked about the failure of uh, a lot of leadership training programs, including uh, uh, those at university, and, and that predominantly is, is missing in those training programs, partly because of the, the nature of the faculty of universities are not trained, nor is that expertise have that expertise, usually requires some background in psychology or human behavior in order to, uh, to do that, so that's part of the problem. Yeah, and I think uh, on the university front, I've always felt that um, whether it's uh, leadership or entrepreneurship, the issue with the universities is the fact that if you're actually not, if you've never been in that role, uh, it's very difficult to just come in as an academic and share theories. Right, exactly. Um so, so that's one reason. The other reason that it's not been um, an issue or a criteria for recruiting and selecting CEOs or senior executives is uh, to the degree to which you have emotional intelligence that you're really self-aware. So uh, as an executive coach, that's a, being a fundamental part of my work with executives is, uh, is really uh, going in-depth so that they become a lot more aware of who they are, what their purpose is, and how they impact other people. And then the second part of it is, how do they manage their emotions? How do they manage their emotional intelligence? How do they recognize and respond to other people's emotions, which is really critical in leadership. So it's a much different focus. Yeah, and, you know, one thing I find is that – I, you know, traditionally, we've always been uh, sh- show, said to not show emotion, especially in the workplace. We did a show here on 
love uh, and use of the word love um, at work and uh, you know, love and business are just too totally, they don't necessarily have to be oil and water, but we have typically not used the word love or emotion or, you know, showing heart. Those things were a sign of weakness in the traditional uh, leadership models or traditional CEO, especially, type of framework. Right, um, and and th- I think part of it is the is our definition of love, and so we have the, this almost you know Hollywoodish celebrity move, you know, uh, gushing movie kind of notion that that's what love is. But the you know human love, the the concern and love for other people, um, yes, absolutely, you know, contains the elements of compassion and empathy and kindness. Um, and those particular kinds of skills and orientation, uh, in fact, are really beneficial in, in organizations. Uh, and I think there's a couple of really great studies on that to kind of support that. So, uh, which leads very well into an element of mindfulness is that to really incorporate mindfulness practices in the workplace and to be a mindful leader, you also have to uh, master compassion and empathy. Absolutely. And that's where, I mean, you know, when we say master uh, these word things like compassion and empathy, people, if you put it up there, people say, oh, um, you know, it sounds daunting, right? But this is where, as you said, the mindfulness and some of the yogic practices really make it kind of uh, inherent in our being because a lot of these things are already there. It's just that they're masked by all the other things that we've kind of accumulated over time. Exactly. Um, and I try to address that in my book from a very pragmatic point of view because uh, it's fine to talk about it at a conceptual level, but what would you actually do? What are the behaviors that you would see? So I get into examples like how do you conduct a mindful conversation? How do you conduct a mindful meeting where you're practicing compassion in the meeting? And I talk about very specific ways in which you can do that. So, for example, um, a typical meeting that you see in a corporation, uh, the, the agenda is driven by the leader who does most of the talking, uh, who sets the agenda items, and they launch immediately into discussion of that. And a lot of times there is uh, minimal participation by people around the table um, and often there's very little commitment as a result of that. To have, yeah. So go ahead. I was going to say, well, and even something simple as um, eye contact. I see a lot of people who are in the senior, you know, CEOs and so forth. Sometimes they're hesitant to make eye contact with everybody. I mean, it doesn't have to be just, you know, somebody who's, who reports to you. It can be just having that sincere interest in engaging with someone who is a part of the company who, you know, you may not be your direct report, but it's someone that is a part of and making someone feel, you know, inclusiveness is, is what that I would say. Yeah, exactly. And to go back to the example I was using, uh, I was working with the CEO and, and encouraging him to run meetings a little differently and, I said, here's an example of the kinds of things you can do, and I want you to try it for the next couple of meetings. I said, first of all, um, you're only going to talk about 20 to 25% of the time. 
um, and the rest of the time you're going to be listening. Um, that you're going to be asking questions to people instead of making statements that you ask them to agree with. You're going to check in with every person, say, how are you feeling today? What's, you know, how, how are things going with you? Make the eye contact and be genuinely interested. So now you're changing the dynamics of the relationship and also the way in which the meeting is conducted. And that makes, that's, that's huge. Uh, that's, you know, a great way to approach it because there's so many times half the people, especially nowadays, are on their cell phone uh, while the meeting is going on. And so I notice like one of the things that always comes up is only one or two people, you end up in a room full of people, you're only actually engaging one or two people. Well, that's a problem. Yeah, you know, a, so it's really important to make it. And I'm even amazed when people come in for sales meetings and the salesperson comes in and the first 20 minutes, it's like nobody's spoken edgewise, had a word in edgewise because the person is just kind of telling you what they want you to buy. Yes, exactly. And so it's that whole mentality of just kind of, and I think a lot of times we just like to hear ourselves speak without <laughs> actually creating that kind of a, a connection. Well, yes, and, and also I think that we've run into habits about conversations and meetings where, number one, and this goes back to mindfulness, is that you're not really present. As you, your mind is somewhere else. Um, whether that you're noticing the message that's coming in on your phone, you're thinking about the next conversation, the next meeting you got to go to. And so people start to lose their capacity for focusing their attention and being present. So what mindfulness teaches you is to, you know, are you present right now paying attention to what you're doing? Now, in order to do that, you have to change the kind of practices that you've got in that meeting or conversation. So that has huge, huge benefits if you do that. Absolutely, and especially with the cell phones. I mean, it's it's such a big thing nowadays where, and it's become totally okay for people to be on their cell phones in, in meetings. So I see like more than 50% of the group is kind of engaged in something else while they are in these meetings. And also, I mean, it's also how you conduct the meeting. So being making it relevant to the audience, right? So it's a matter of, you know, answering the questions of why are we, why is this relevant for the team? How to get everybody uh, engaged and bought into something that you're presenting. Right. Um, and going back to the, you know, the theme of compassion and empathy, it's, uh, often we launch into a conversation or a meeting and the entire focus is on some technical results. So, you know, how's that project going? Um, what are the numbers you can show me? Um, uh, how did that meeting go? And it's like the nature of the conversation is not at an emotional level at all, as opposed to having a conversation saying, how are you feeling about how things are going? Are there you know, any kind of emotional concerns that you want to express and, uh, um, and share with me? And I'm not going to react to those or pass any judgment, but just listen to you. <laughs> yeah, and I just, I, as I visualize that, I see that that is such a stretch, right? Because if you, especially if you look at the typical model of a, you know, tall white male CEO coming in and saying, hey, I just want to check in with you about your feelings. It's like, yeah. you know, a CEO coming in with that uh, pitch level is going to um, 
be viewed sometimes as a, as a weakness. A lot of the people, even even if he doesn't see it that way, a lot of the people in the audience will say, "Wow, he's kind of, you know, it's kind of airy fairy, foofy foofy type of thing." And uh, it, it's it's interesting because uh, by the same token, empo- it's also there have been many studies that show that employees are more, um, you know, joy joyful, passionate employees. That feel that are inspired are more productive, and res- and the results are better. Exactly, um, and and so spending the time to to notice how you know how is that person feeling? Uh, is there something going on in their personal lives that will impact their work that you, you may need to be aware of and just be non judgmental and, and caring about that? It has enormous benefits. So it's not Absolutely. just about. It's not just about, uh, oh, I'm just a nice guy. Um, there are yeah. some tangible results to that. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to come back uh, from break. So right now we're going to go into break. Uh, thanks, Ray. And uh, Success Inside, Voice America, Talk Radio. We will be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What makes great leaders? Results? A lasting legacy? Is it making a difference in your life or maybe the lives of others? I lead. The Leadership Connection with host Dr. Linda Sharkey will bring you the practical tips and tools to make you an extraordinary leader, and by doing so, build a better, more successful, and more profitable organization. Our show is all about you, the leader that you can be, and the culture that you can create. Tune in to I Lead, The Leadership Connection, live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Today, our world is faced with complex challenges that present massive potential risks. Conflict, misunderstanding, misalignment of organizations and their leadership, lost productivity, wasted time, and wasted resources resulting from limiting perspectives, distraction, and hardline positions are damaging our today and our future. The monetary cost of such failures is in the billions. Stop wasting time. Make a shift. Engage with host David B. Savage on Breakthrough to Yes with Collaboration, Thursdays at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're tuned in to Success Inside. To reach Aparna or her guest today, please call in to 
472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Aparna at bcorporateyogi.com. Now, back to Success Inside. Welcome back, Ray. Welcome back to Success Inside. Uh, we have here Ray Williams, all the way from Vancouver, Canada. And um, Ray, it's been a really um, enlightening discussion this morning here um, about CEOs and uh, executive uh, leadership kind of shifting in the as a wave of emotional intelligence and compassion and empathy enter into the workforce. Yeah, I've, uh, I've enjoyed the conversation. I think it's a really important one to, for all organizations to have and, and for both present and future executives to uh, be really thinking about. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I know we had talked about self-awareness. What are some of the other um, areas that uh, you know successful leaders uh, can be more compassionate or be more um, emotionally aware, let's say? Well, there, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> there, there are two things that I incorporated in my work with them. One of them is uh, dealing with uh, reactivity, um, and this goes back to uh, the self mastery and self self awareness. And what I mean by reactivity is that uh, sometimes uh, an employee or uh, a customer, a client, a colleague will say or do something that would prompt the uh, the executive to react in a way that uh, uh, that they're angry or that they want to dominate that person or uh, do something in an aggressive way and and often that behavior is automatic and uh, unconscious because the threat center of the brain is being activated so <clears throat> through work on self uh, self-awareness um, and using mindfulness techniques as well is what I was able able to do with these executives is get them to be non-reactive. And what I mean by non-reactive is, number one, is they recognize that this automatic response, usually through noticing some physical changes in their body, uh, and uh, are occurring, and that they need to create a space and accept the emotion that they're feeling before they respond and say anything. So there's this pause that occurs where they're saying, oh, okay, I think I'm angry at this person. Uh, I can feel it coming up in me. It's not appropriate for me to react in anger. I have to get this uh, under control until I can respond in a very intelligent way. And, and so by practicing, going through certain exercises where we practice that, uh, they're able to develop much greater self-awareness and self-control in situations, which then they come across to other people as being a lot calmer and in control of themselves, and that gives other people more confidence. Yeah, and also creates a safe environment. So in the yogic uh, tradition, we always, you know, as with mindfulness, as with any practice that allows you to go deeper inward, you create a, you know, we say you are not the body, you are not the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so we create a little, you know, one of the practical things that's taking place uh, for, for any individual when you do more mindfulness is you're creating that distance between the mind, the body, and you're going into more of an observer state within yourself. 
So as you practice this over time, uh, it naturally makes you more self-aware. And, you know, you bring up a really good point about when there are conflicts or when there is that fire that takes place um, in a situation, uh, it's how that leader is reacting is critical. And that's where, you know, when you react instantly, this is where if you've had a, over the years, if you've had a long uh, mindfulness uh, tradition or some sort of a discipline around this, it can really make an impact. Uh, It can make a difference in how you're reacting to the situation. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. the, the other area that I work on with uh, executives that um, feed into this issue of self-management and uh, um, self-awareness is, is the issue of uh, character and uh, ethical standards. And, and I think pretty universally, we've seen so many examples of um, uh, executives that act out of self-interest, um, uh, act out of uh, ego, or act in a way that um, intentionally harms other people or the environment um, and don't take responsibility for it. And we, uh, as a result, as a society or the organization suffers, uh, certainly other people suffer. So I think that's missing from a lot of leadership development programs as well as this notion of, uh, as a leader, do you operate under a philosophy of do no harm? Do you operate under a philosophy of I have high ethical standards and I will maintain myself uh, to those ethical standards and do nothing that uh, smacks of dishonesty or uh, intentionally hurting other people or evasion of responsibility? And I think that's a really critical thing that we uh, would get a lot more of our public have more confidence and trust in our leaders if they saw that more frequently. Absolutely. And I think that is also aided by the mindfulness practice, right? So mindfulness or going inward allows you to have a deeper awareness of yourself. And that self-awareness leads to, because at the core, we are all you know, love and pure consciousness. And, uh, you know, so as that awakens within an individual, it allows you to show up in a more genuine, um, deeper, truer self in the workplace and everything else you do. So, for example, when you are, you know, if, if you're doing a yoga class or if you're walking out after any kind of a mindfulness activity or in, a, in that kind of an environment, people are generally nicer to each other. Just because, you know, you have more of an awareness and appreciation of an individual and respect for the other individual. And that in itself, you know, as that skill is cultivated, can lead to more um, self-aware, emotionally intelligent CEOs, you know, and... What a vision that is, right? A world where the CEOs are high, have a high emotional intelligence. So we have these companies that are run by um, really effective leaders. And the whole world, I mean, it just looks like a totally different place, right? Because when we had the big scare with Enron and leader after, like there was a phase in the business community where we were faced with a lot of morality-related issues, and, and, and especially in senior leadership positions. And that wave, I mean, it's it's been a while since, you know, companies have invested a lot of money in kind of the ethics and cre- increasing awareness and morality and ethics. But couple that with the mindfulness um, can really make lots of headway. 
Exactly. And, and I think it, what it points to as well is different recruitment and selection processes for executives where, um, and, and I love the book that was written by Robert Sutton at Stanford University. It's called The No Asshole Rule, is that you don't hire, maybe I should use the word jerks because it's radio. Uh, <laughs> you don't hire jerks. Um, to positions. And, you know, the unfortunate part is there's a couple studies that show that um, uh, CEOs have uh, a higher than a normal percentage of people that are psychopaths because they have the opportunity to, uh, to take advantage of other people and they're charming and, uh, and ruthless. And, and so what we need to do is have a standard that selects uh, people uh, as executives and CEOs where their ethical standards and their, their character becomes one of the main criteria for selection as opposed to strictly technical skill or previous financial results. Absolutely. And, you know, I actually live and work in Silicon Valley. So here, since now, especially with the, uh, you know, the, it's a startup culture. So the CEOs are smaller, um, have smaller businesses. And also the the other challenge that an entrepreneur, a startup CEO has is the ability to inspire the employees, given that they're not going to have a high paycheck or that payday may not come for a while, but how do you attract and inspire um, passionate, engaging employees to your business and to your idea? And it's critical for success um, for any of um, any small company, especially. I mean, large companies for sure. And I feel like you know the size of these companies. If you're in a large company, a lot of times bad leaders can get lost, you know, it can, one or two bad leaders can withstand that. But in a startup, for sure, I mean, you have for every CEO has to be able to really master this emotional piece to inspire the right kind of talent and move forward with their ideas. Right. And I think, too, is that we see a generational difference is that um, with Generation Y, or, or they're called millennials, uh, they're much more sensitive to and desire uh, a work culture that um, addresses work-life balance, that addresses ethical issues, contribution to the environment, as opposed to strictly a a bottom financial line. And uh, so they're going to make decisions about where they work and who their boss is based upon some some values uh, uh, that reflect ethics and morality. And I, I think that's a real refreshing direction. Absolutely. And that's why the whole, you know, this whole mindfulness um, shift is very, very important to share with the business community because there are already tools that have been, I mean, the Yoga Sutra was written over, um, you know, six thousand years ago and so forth so there are tools that have been given that can be employed as individuals within ourselves that can help us achieve some of these goals so I feel like we've been in a society where results and performance are are paramount and then yet you know we left a a lot of the softer side tends to be something we will get to when we have more time. And that's why I really appreciate the shift in time now where there is an appreciation to, um, and a lot of companies are have are very active practices around mindfulness, uh, meditation, you know, Google. I was at LinkedIn yesterday. They have all kinds of 
practices around making their executives um, more, uh, well, mindful, but actually providing spaces where you can, you know, actually practice meditation. You can take naps in the afternoon. You can have mindful eating where there are no cell phone territories and so forth. So, um, you know, it's just creative ways of really getting the employees engaged into this is is pretty interesting to watch as it unfolds. Um, You know, we're going to shift direction a little bit here and talk about um, as an individual, what are some of the things that, you know, Ray, what are some of the things that you personally find uh, helpful in your day-to-day activities that helps you be more mindful as you run your business? Yeah, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the things that uh, I've developed over the last several years, and I encourage uh, working when I'm coaching uh, executives as well, is uh, developing some personal routines Mm-hmm. that you follow and uh, some of those personal routines sometimes uh, may viewed as being, oh, gee, this is non-productive because it's not accomplishing anything. And uh, what, what I try to uh, emphasize with them, what I try to do as a personal practice is a balance between doing and being is that uh, much of our culture and certainly business focuses on do, 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 get accomplished, accomplished, accomplished. And very little time is spent on just being yourself where nothing is to be accomplished, uh, thinking that that's not important, but actually it is. Um, So having certain routines uh, in my life has really helped me, and one of them is that balance between uh, doing and accomplishing things and, and being, which is basically doing nothing other than things like reflection or walking in nature or... Uh, some pleasurable activity where there's nothing to be accomplished, and that includes uh, meditation. So um, uh, incorporating those things into my life have really had a tremendous impact on me feeling good about myself and actually has had some beneficial effects in terms of my success in my career too. Yeah, and, you know, the being aspect is is very interesting because, um, you know, and in a given day, you know, we spend so much of our time, we're either thinking about what's happened in the past or we're focused on what's going to happen in the future, especially when you're at work. Um, so you're either planning or you are looking back and reflecting. But very little time is taken just to be in that moment, you know, to kind of really tuning in to that moment that's here right now. And for me personally, that that takes a lot of discipline to to be there because sometimes if you are just being or if you're just still or if you're just taking a walk, it feels like, oh, my God, what else do I need to be achieving? So recognizing the importance of just being within yourself is probably one of the most single most important things you can do even if you don't have a meditation practice. Right. <clears throat> and so one of the things I recommend to other people, uh, and I do myself, is is to embrace this concept of doing nothing. Um, and it, it really kind of runs counter to our culture and what we, you know, have tended to embrace, which is, oh, if you're doing nothing, you're wasting your time. And yes, that's, absolutely. that's actually not true. When you're doing nothing, you're letting your brain do a lot of integration uh, kinds of, of things and you're allowing connections and creativity, you're allowing all kinds of other things. You're also reducing levels of stress. So 
it, um, even if you go for a walk, if you go for a walk and still think about the meeting you're going to go to, then you're not really doing nothing going for a walk. Yes, um, and even that's true even in, in meditation practice. So when I teach um, meditation, I, I notice, you know, or I and I used to notice this in my own personal practice is that a lot of times people use it as an opportunity to just kind of reshuffle their to-do list. Yeah. So it's like you're sitting there for five minutes and you're going through, you know, what do you need to do? Granted, it's a great way. It, it's at least getting the discipline of getting started. But by the same token, you're not there just to kind of check in and shuffle into the things you need to achieve, but you are actually there to just simply be. Like you said, it's not a waste of time. Uh, and, you know, I feel like growing up in this whole generation of multitasking used to be such a big thing. And we I recognize now that it actually does a disservice to us because you're really not in either moment. You know, when you're multitasking, you're not in either place. Uh, and you're just kind of creating an anxiety and stress within yourself, whereas you can be so much more effective. And this is where performance comes in because you can be so much more effective when you are g- engaging 100% into the activity that you are in front of. Right, right. Um, and and you know, going back to routines, uh, uh, a simple thing that I have my executives do is I say, let's, let's take a mundane thing. You take a shower in the morning. excuse me, when you're taking a shower in the morning, I don't want you to think about the meeting that you've got coming up as soon as you get to the office. The only thing I want you to do is focus on the feeling of the water that's hitting your body and the soap and whatever so that they start learning how to to just be in that moment with that activity without planning something to do in their mind, um, which, uh, which is a form of multitasking. So, Learning to practice that, or they're cleaning the floor, or washing the car, whatever it happens to be, is to uh, to be fully in that being moment, so that they learn how they, they develop that muscle. Uh, that's a habit. That's just the same as the habit of getting stuff done. Absolutely, and you know the the thing with that is that when mindfulness. Um, or with mindfulness, what we find is it's not just about the 15 minutes you're meditating or five minutes that you're meditating, but you can be mindful doing any task. And so that is a very good point about the, you know, in the shower or doing dishes or, um, you know, whatever you're engaged in, you can be mindful simply by being in the moment of what you're engaged with. Um, and that's something that takes, uh, you know, some discipline uh, to, and 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 actually awareness to really cultivate that practice. But it's a great skill. So um, as you share that with executives, what is it that, you know, what are some of the feedbacks that you've you've received from some of these CEOs? Um, uh, several different kinds of feedback. Uh, first of all, some of them say this is really really difficult. And that's partly because they haven't practiced it before. Uh, some of them get really frustrated because of the difficulty level and they're surprised. Uh, some of them um, don't see the value. But I say the predominant number of them that do practice it and gain some success, what they find is that it really has a beneficial effect in terms of calming their mind and clearing their mind so that they're ready to move into the action-doing phase uh, really, really productively. And so in my, in my book, in the, the, the last part of the book, is I have a whole list of uh, these kind of mindfulness practices that leaders can 
uh, practice themselves in their own life, but also take into the workplace and, and uh, incorporate into the practices there as well. And so this new, you just finished a new book, right? Would you love to yes. share what, what the new book is about? Yeah, the title of the book is uh, Eye of the Storm, How Mindful Leaders Can Transform Chaotic Workplaces. And so the, the first half of the book describes how workplaces have become chaotic and toxic in many regards. Um, and the impact that's had and how the, the stereotypic leadership uh, style has failed us. And then the second half of the book is, uh, is the promise uh, and the hope that we can move to a different kind of model and using mindfulness as one of the vehicles in which to do that. So it, I've uh, really been happy about uh, the response and endorsement, for example, from uh, Stanford Medical School, uh, from people there. Um, and I'm using this as... Uh, um, as a resource for executives when I uh, do some coaching with them. Great. Well, as we close out, uh, you know, it's been wonderful having you here this morning. And as we close today's show, I just wanted to see if we can take a, a little time to reflect. And, you know, as you look at your own life and, and these shifts and sort of the teachings that you have, um, what are some things that you would, you would want to share with the audience? Um, on your own life that you, looking back, wish you had done differently? So we call it a note to self. <laughs> note to self. Well, to, to begin with, I, I don't have many regrets in life. I don't, uh, I don't really believe in kind of uh, um, reviewing the past and saying, I wish I had done this, wish I hadn't done this. So, so my own personal focus has always been is where do I want to go and what do I need to do right now to, to get there? Um, and... Um, even if you've had a negative experience, is take be able to positively reframe that experience and say, okay, what do I need to learn from that, um, and what do I need to do next time? And and I think in in one of the greatest lessons for me, uh, and partly it's come from my personal experience. And I was born in a a prison of war camp as the a prisoner of the Japanese in World War II. Uh, is the practice of self compassion is uh, we tend to be far more critical and self-judgmental than we need to be. <clears throat> and so when we, we encounter uh, adversity, um, even if that adversity is something that's a result of other people's actions or uh, other events, there's a, there's a tendency for us to criticize ourselves. And so one of the things I've learned and really encourage other people to do is to be more self-compassionate is that, uh, have the compassion for yourself that you would uh, give to someone else, um, and that helps you. That helps you move forward. That is very nice. Uh, in fact, self compassion and self love are the two biggest things that, or it's actually all in one thing. But that is actually one of the most critical components to having a mindful experience within life so self-compassion leads to compassion for the world and that create leads to creating bigger and better things for the world so with that i am going to close out today this is uh, i am aparna your host for success inside <coughs> excuse me and we'll see you here next week thanks so much Thanks for listening. Be sure to catch another edition of Success Inside with your host, Aparna, next Saturday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Until the next show, have a great weekend and a successful week to come. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.